if it's toxic. Here's to better living through chemistry. And it stinks. Gee, that, that, that's funny. I don't smell nothing. It must be... You lose. The Aroma from Troma. A full week of odorous adventures from the stench masters at Troma. Beginning August 22nd on the Sci-Fi Channel. Wow. I did not need to see Buck Flowers' penis. <laughs> that was something I could have gone without seeing. Thanks, Lloyd. Radio Drome. I smell the aroma from Troma. Do you smell the aroma from Troma? It is Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil Never Listens to His Boss, who is me, Trachtenberg. You're my boss now? Yes. You do what right. you're told, boy. F you, pay me. With me, as kind of always, is Peter eh, Gajic. I'll get you for this, you monster faggot! <laughs> and sitting in for the aroma from trauma is frederick no clever nickname fritz yes who will gladly allow you to call him boss for fifty dollars <laughs> price is too steep I'll, I'll give you 50 cents and you'll take it and like it buddy actually yes well let's just do the adam and eve promo because i got no clever segue because you kind of already segged into it so you go to adamandeve.com <laughs> use the promo code trome and you will get 50 percent off of a single item three free dvds a free mystery gift clip bumper and free u.s shipping use the promo code drome at adamandeve.com tonight we're going to talk trauma i wanted to have lloyd kaufman here and he actually agreed to it as lloyd is wont to do because he's a pretty awesome guy scheduling did not work out he's at a film festival and there was no way he could be interviewed prior to this so i'm going to have lloyd on in the future probably to talk about independent filmmaking but we wanted lloyd here just didn't happen so let's just talk trauma at first let's discuss what a trauma film is what does trauma mean to you in general awesomeness <laughs> Love trauma films. Um, they, to me, are just the pinnacle of low-budget creativity, fun entertainment. They don't aspire to be great Oscar-winning productions. They aspire to be really entertaining and just highly enjoyable, low-budget features. I would say that trauma, to me, means just pure freedom in filmmaking. They... They do exactly what they want to do, how they want to do it. They finance everything that they want to do. It, 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 it goes back to Lloyd Kaufman's book, Make Your Own Damn Movie, where he, you know, he goes uh, into how you can save up and how you can use your money and just make, make what you want to make, make your own company. Like Troma survives by being Troma, and it's, it's a testament to them. They're still making movies. They're still putting out class of Newcomb high movies. They just put out uh, a movie recently father's day. Uh, and they're still very much in tone with the films they were making in the eighties. And it's, it's exactly what they want to make. And it's, it's, it's as Cecil said, they're not going, going out to make this Oscar worthy stuff or, or anything amazing in the, um, in the mainstream sense, they're making something that to me is amazing and how creative it is, how fun it is, breakneck pace it is, everything from, from Toxic Adventure to Sergeant Kabuki Man to Poultry Geist to Class of Newcomb High. These are so fun to watch. They're so colorful. They're gory in not really like a gross way, but it's like you're reading a, it's almost like a comic book. Like a lot of them are sort of like the weirder um, EC comics or or other like horror comics or or independent comic books, just the way they're colored and the the over the top violence. Like there's almost tinges of heavy metal every now and then. Like you kind of feel like you're watching something from that or like a 2008 publication coming to life. Like the real like the little comic strips that you'll see throughout. They're strange and they're beautiful in how strange they are. I've I've always loved Troma and it's definitely been a a launching pad for my love for exploitation. So I guess. To me, trauma means something that 
one of the few the few things from my early film watching days that truly got me into what I'm into today as far as like niche cinema goes. Insanity, colorful if not cartoonish films that uh, where others would uh, imply something, they don't imply it, they show it. Uh, they're not afraid of being ugly. They definitely are, are full out balls to the wall filmmaking. They're definitely not afraid to wear the fact that uh, they're out to sell you a product on the sleeve and uh, be marketable, and yet in the most unmarketable way possible. To me, Troma absolutely lives up to what their tagline is. Real, R-E-E-L, independent cinema. You, you used to have, the market was a little more crowded, where you had Corman being an active participant, and now he just makes those crappy TV movies for sci-fi. You had Empire Films at the time, which later became Full Moon, and you had Troma. They were the three big independent studios. You had others, but you know what I mean. We're all aiming for the same market. Troma's the only one that successfully survived. Now, Troma, they, they have a certain style for the most part. You can immediately look at a movie and go, that's a Troma movie. Their style is so recognizable when you look at like Hobo with a Shotgun. You don't even need the filmmakers to tell you that they made this like a trauma film. You look at that and you go, this really feels like a trauma movie. Because mm. they have a certain style to them, which is kind of gross. Peter, you were talking about how they were kind of heavy metal magazine and that. I'll disagree with that. I think Troma is a studio that makes movies for 12-year-old boys. <laughs> and that, I mean, really, am I wrong? Not necessarily. I I know that um, like the first time I ever saw a trauma movie, I wasn't twelve. I was probably I was probably fourteen or fifteen the first time I saw Toxic Avenger. But I can safely say that seeing that for the first time, that's something I would have fucking loved to see when I was twelve. Like you know, I was a kid that was very much into like violent stuff and you know like RoboCop and violent video games and the, the Splatterhouse games and uh, Tales from the Crypt comics and stuff. So as a twelve year old, seeing seeing something so uh, so jam packed with um with this colorful ultra violence and you know random bits of, of nudity and whatnot, like as a as a twelve year old starting to go through puberty for the first time, you look at something like a trauma film and you lose your shit. Because, like, this is kind of what you want to see in your, your hormone-ridden mind at the time as you're kind of developing into a young man. And now Troma is run by mainly Lloyd Kaufman. He's the face of Troma, but Michael Herz is also there, always behind the scenes. Lloyd Kaufman is a very eclectic and fun-as-hell head of Troma. You got to remember, before Troma, he made movies such as he helped make Rocky. He made Silent Night, Bloody Night. He made The Final Countdown, that huge budget studio film for Paramount. He made the original Mother's Day. He made Sugar Cookies with this unknown writer-producer named Oliver Stone. <laughs> As Lloyd puts it, probably the only 70s X-rated feature that ever lost money because it was so bad. You've got Lloyd Kaufman, who might be the face of trauma, and he kind of embodies everything that is trauma. He's self-deprecating, he's funny, he's energetic, and he's willing to put himself out there. Do you think any other studio would have ever made Tales from the Crapper or Terror Firmer or, or even Troma's War? Do you think any other studio would have had the balls to try some of this stuff? I mean, the obvious quick answer is no. I mean, it, it's, it's obvious. I mean, when you said earlier about all Troma films have a vibe, I think it's because it's their films are so closely watched over by Kaufman and Hertz pretty much they're involved with every single film that they have made not the ones they've picked up that they have made and uh they have together created a look that has become as you said the trauma look and other filmmakers have sort of picked up on that vibe how intentional some of those are, I don't know because uh there's a film called uh, Frostbiter Wrath of the Wendigo they released and that's a Michigan-made movie. I know the filmmaker who made it. Uh, he was the DP on the movie Mosquito. His name is Tom Chaney. And he mm. shot this movie. Uh, it was originally just called Wendigo. He had Rod and Ashton in it. And uh, after, he, I think he was like 19 when he made it. Basically, the way the film looks is it's a combination of him trying to make, he, he was very inspired by Sam Raimi. And he wanted to make his own Evil mm -hmm. Dead. And if you watch the movie, there's a lot of that vibe in there. Oh, but, yeah, you can see that for sure. I, Wendigo is a great movie, too, by the way. That's one that I, I wouldn't have known about it if uh, Troma hadn't have re-released it. Yeah, yeah. They uh, 
they they bought it up. And uh, the other part of it, I was going to say, was also, and and Tom would say this, so I'm not speaking out of church here, <laughs> uh, that it was his naivete, uh, naivete uh, as to why the film was kind of a disaster. The film didn't quite work. And so the look of it is a combination of, you know, a 19-year-old's lack of experience and his desire to make something like one of his heroes made. Troma picks it up, and they're the ones that added that, like, endless soundtrack when you watch the movie. It's just wall-to-wall music. And uh, they added the title, you know, Frost Spider, Wath of Wendigo. They brought Ron Ashton in, and they shot, like, some extra video that was put on the DVD that you see. Uh, so, for the most part, that film is just sort of accidentally like a trauma film, and they just mm. added a few little tweaks. That's uh, that's all I could really add about the, the, you know, the sort of the style and the outside look of a trauma film versus, say, a studio film. I mean, these guys have pretty much just done it their way from the very beginning. And Do you think it's weird that, that the same Lloyd Kaufman that was involved in Rocky and Final Countdown is also the man who made Terror Firmer? The giant mm-hmm. gross-out movie with a five-minute-long puke joke and, and people's heads being run over and giant diapers. and Is there a weird dichotomy between that Lloyd Kaufman and the one who worked with Paramount in the 70s? Well, not really, because like you got to figure everybody gets their start in the industry somewhere. And it's almost like Lloyd Kaufman went backwards. Like you have a lot of people (laughs) that will start in low budget horror and then will move on to bigger and better things Uh, or uh, not necessarily bigger and better things. But you know what I mean? Uh, You know, larger budget things like, for example, James Gunn, who got his start at Troma Mm -hmm. is now doing the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So, I mean, he's now, uh, you know, moved on to much larger in scope, whereas you had Lloyd Kaufman, who uh, started with Paramount and then moved on to his own studio where they make these little tiny gross out uh, independent films. So I think that that kind of shows a lot more of where his passion lies. He didn't want to be a cog in the wheel. He didn't want to be part of the big studio system. He wanted to be in a, you know, in the smaller environment and to be able to have 100% creative freedom and to be able to make the movies that they wanted to make regardless of how absurd, ridiculous, disgusting, nonsensical they were. He knew that what he was doing was what he wanted to make, and the audience came. The audience came to them and loved what they were making. So, you know, in essence, he kind of struck gold with that because he's been doing what he really has wanted to do for, uh, God, What's how how long has Troma been around now? I mean, I know they're the oldest independent studio. Uh, I mean, that's one of their big... You know things they crow about uh so uh what like 30 30 years of real r-e-e-l independence is the logo on their website there we go yeah i mean so you know major kudos to him for recognizing what he wanted to do and going with it instead of uh you know trying to uh you know stick with them and i mean because really if you're looking at the quantity of stuff they put out, too, is just abs- I mean, they picked up a lot of movies over the years for distribution. I'm going to be talking about those in a little bit because they've picked up some movies that people are going to be surprised were trauma releases, at least. Right. You know, and <laughs> uh, and they also had a lot to do. I mean, James Gunn was one of them. But there are a lot of people who have come through trauma that have, you know, that more or less got their start with trauma that have gone on to bigger things. Brett Ratner, Carmen Electra, Billy Bob Thornton, Vanna White, Kevin Costner, J.J. Abrams, Samuel L. Jackson, Marissa Tomei, Michael Jai White, Vincent D'Onofrio, David Boreanaz, Paul Servino, James Gunn, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, Oliver Stone, no relation, obviously. They all got their start. Sure, he doesn't have as big of an alumni list as, say, Roger Corman does, but that's still a pretty decent alumni list of people who started with a trauma film. As you guys were saying, it's interesting that Lloyd Kaufman kind of went backwards. Like, he already had his start with with a, with a major company like Paramount, and then it, it shows definitely where his passion lies, To because he clearly wanted his own production company. He wanted something like Troma. He wanted to make what the bigger studios wouldn't make, because, no, I don't think a bigger studio would make something like Terror Firmer. There's no way you could put a movie like that out today especially considering film the main threat is a transsexual it's an evil transsexual tumblr would lambast the out of terra firmer i'd say that might even be my favorite trauma film because i consider it to be one that's the most genuinely 
scary because it actually has some like like I will never hear Amazing Grace the same way again ever. Every time I hear Amazing Grace, Dick tucking in the street while Ron Jeremy holds his own severed penis. I gotta even wonder, like Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. That would be called racist today, wouldn't it? Oh God, yeah. Yeah, there's no way they'd get away with that. Hell no. Um, so I think that's that's a testament to what Lloyd Coffin wanted to do. He knew that he could not put movies like that with a big studio. And he was already working with the big studios, but I'm sure he figured it'd be much better if I just did this independently. Maybe it'll be cheaper, but at least it'll have the heart that I want it to have. And as far as his alumni goes, that's really awesome because it's, it's people doing the same thing really that he did because these were people starting out in lower budgeted films that wanted to move on uh, to the studio stuff. And they managed to do it by getting you know experience in his films, by getting experience directing, by getting experience... Uh, acting i think um i'm not sure if you mentioned but even paul walker got his start in trauma i forget which movie it was it was about some monster in a closet or something but but paul monster walker in the closet in that... monster in the closet that's yeah. the name <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since i've seen it but yeah um and they, they all got their starts and and i think um a lot of a lot of people that did very very much see that as a as a great time in their life and a lot of people have have spoken about working in trauma and have had nothing but great things to say about it. I know that um what's who's the ah the guy who did uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? James Gunn. James Gunn. James James Gunn I know still very much uh, holds a very high opinion of Lloyd of Kaufman's got a cameo he, in a Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe movie. How the hell else was that ever going to happen? Exactly. The James he loves Lloyd because Lloyd really really helped him out in his in his start with filmmaking. Uh and even movies like uh like he's even his first uh, movie that he made, you know, as an independent director that he got studio made, uh, Slither, is very much a trauma-esque movie with just a bigger budget. But, you know, with actors like like Michael Rooker and uh, and just the tone of it and the, the goofy violence and all the color, it very much feels, even though it's a bit bigger budgeted and more of a studio-released film, it feels like a trauma film. And it really shows how much James Gunn just has an ad has such an adoration for for Lloyd Kaufman and I think a lot of people that that worked with him do and I think a lot of uh, actors and filmmakers that worked with him were really inspired uh, to give it their all with their chosen professions in the film industry much like how Lloyd Kaufman didn't want to work in the bigger studios he wanted to make his own studio not even just for him I don't think but he wanted people to get their I'm sure he wanted people to get their starts because look look at all the movies he helped get made he helped you know the likes of of Rocky you know which one won an Oscar he helped make my dinner with Andre <laughs> so this yeah this <laughs> is a not guy joking this is a guy who loves film and the people that he's worked with that have gone on uh, to find their own success are of the same wavelength as him. And I think that's it's just so awesome to, to see that because it's it's rare to see a small company that has managed to survive for that long, for 30 years, give us these other people that would go on to work in the industry and, and give us their own versions of magic, just like Lloyd Kaufman gave us his magic with movies that will be classics forever, like like. I will always love Toxic Avenger and Sergeant Kabuki Man. Those will always be on my top ten of favorite exploitation films. I, I love those movies, and I'll always I'll always be in support of trauma. Well, let's talk about some of the trauma movies that don't get talked about. The non-trauma trauma movies, their pickups, because people would be surprised that Trauma is the company responsible for releasing Blood Sucking Freaks, mm -hmm. Death by Temptation, Ferocious Female Freedom Fighters. Killer Condom, the great Joe Spinell, Caroline Monroe movie, The Last Horror Film, the Dennis Hopper exploitation film, Mad Dog Morgan, Monster in the Closet, Don Dohler's Night Beast, Redneck Zombies, the amazing surrealist screenplay, Sizzle Beach USA, Surf Nazis Must Die, Stuff Stephanie and the Incinerator, Zombie Geddon, movies like this. I, I, th I think people are surprised that, that they've put out movies like this. Hell, Troma put out the original release of Astro Zombies, Blood of mm -hmm. Ghastly Horror, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town, Christmas Evil is out there thanks to Troma, Dracula vs. Frankenstein, I Spit on Your Corpse, Jakarta, you've got Satan Sadus, John Landis' Shock, Splatter University. You've got some pretty unique movies that nobody would ever associate Troma with. A lot of fun discovering these titles, and it's it's just like anything else. When you, you think of a younger viewer 
discovering some of these films for the first time, and it creates that domino effect where one leads into another, leads into another, leads into another, and it, it's just it's a really it's a really great discovery process. And it's also interesting because of all the, you know, you brought up the alumni. This is all part of the process of, of both giving and taking and filmmaking. Okay. There's the, uh, all right, we want to make money. We want to make movies to make money, to make our own product, but we're also putting back, we're giving, you know, all these filmmakers their first shot at exposure. Maybe they're not going to make dime one, but you know, the films are out there and they're out there for people to see. So you got that on one level. And then as, as Josh and I had talked about at one point, they also have the little dinky. I love throwing this one on people. This one always blows people's minds. We, of course, know Disney owns uh, Miyazaki movies, those anime films. Troma, under the guise of 50th Street Films, actually was the first to release My Neighbor Totoro. Lloyd yeah. Kaufman released My Neighbor Totoro first. And that's actually how I discovered Miyazaki, actually. Oh, man. I, that is, I worked at a blockbuster, and that's how I discovered it. And I saw Lloyd Kaufman's name on the box. I went, what? Uh, <laughs> well, Fred, along, along those lines, Troma is the ones who released the Burt Reynolds, Sam Fuller movie Shark. You don't associate that with Troma at all, do you? Christmas no. Evil, as much as I love that movie, you're like, wait a minute, Troma? Yeah, it's so great. Again, it's just, it's that wonderful world of discovery. And it's just, I don't know, it's it's part of the fun. I say this without irony, without joking. Surf Nazis Must Die is one of my all-time favorite movies. I just love that yes. movie so much. Uh, I saw it at, like, just the right time. And I just, like... It's got so much heart and it's ridiculous and it's got the most unlikely hero in quite possibly the history of cinema. A fat you black know? woman. Leroy's mama. Yeah. <laughs> an old an old overweight black woman in a nursing home is going up against a bunch of 20-something Nazi surfers. And, oh, God, just, you know, I <laughs> taste some of Mama's home cooking. Uh, it's just <laughs> so funny and well done. It's got a great soundtrack. Really love that one. But as far as some of the other ones, I mean, hell, uh, Cannibal, uh, Cannibal the Musical was a pickup. Uh, that was uh, the Trey and Matt uh, movie. Which a nymphoid is... barbarian in dinosaur hell. You can oh, never God. say Lloyd is not great when it comes to titles. God, way back. I don't remember exactly when. Uh, sometime when they were still doing USA Up All Night, they were doing a trauma uh, USA Up All Night. And I was uh, at a buddy of mine's house. We were, you know, young. We we're having like a sleepover. And uh, we ended up like going down and watching th this trauma marathon on uh, USA Up All Night. And they ran uh, Nymphoid Barbarian and Dinosaur Hell. They ran uh, Frostbiter. Those are the only two I really remember off the top of my head, but it was so great because it was, oh my God, you know, what are these movies? They're all, you know, look at these names. They're awesome. And uh, they were just terrific. Redneck Zombies, I saw like years later. Uh, Rabid Grannies. Uh, the <laughs> only one I, I was never particularly... Like, I never really liked Killer Condom. That one, it's one of the rare trauma films and trauma pickups that uh, just never did anything for me. But mm. uh, I even liked Squeeze Play, which uh, is such a stupid, like, bad um, baseball comedy. You know, they were completely trying to capitalize on, like, the whole, like, sports comedy thing that was popular at the time. And, uh... Just although it does have the the great scene of the guy who like he pulls his pants down to moon the crowd and they hit the ball and it hits him square right in the asshole like that's <laughs> have, have any of you guys ever seen video vixens that Lloyd made with with, with Buck Flowers it's a no. sexploitation comedy about bringing sexploitation to broadcast TV and I'm like I'm watching it clearly says R rated on my VHS and I'm like wow I did not need to see Buck Flowers penis. <laughs> that was something i could have gone without seeing thanks lloyd i think buck flower was pretty much hammered all the time i don't think that he even knew that his penis was probably on display well i mean it, it all goes back to trauma being this great launching pad for me when it comes to exploitation films because i would not have found out about some of the weird sleazy little grimy movies that i'm so into today had it not been for 
Troma's re-release of some of these films. Like we already talked about uh, Wendigo. That's a really fun one. Cannibal the Musical is just a fucking laugh riot. That's a great movie. It, it shows their the diversity in the kinds of movies they put out too because you'd have this great horror comedy stuff. Then you have the kind of the Evil Dead-esque kind of movies like like Frostbiter, really just fun movies like Surf Nazis Must Die, and really weird, disturbing, sleazy, grimy, gritty movies like Combat Shock, which I don't think a lot of people talk about that movie. It's a really depressing take on the whole Vietnam veteran angle. He, you know, he's not Rambo. He's not... Paul Kersey or Robert Ginty in The Exterminator. He's this downtrodden, depressed, broke son of a bitch with, a, with an emotionally abusive wife, a deformed baby. He owes money all around town. And the, and the whole thing is just, just encapsulated in this one day of this miserable son of a bitch's life um, Vietnam veteran who couldn't even apply for welfare properly. Like th these are the kind of movies that you're going to find going through Troma's release and and some and a lot of them other than I think uh, Cecil mentioned the condom monster one I, I never really vibed well with that one either but most of them are awesome and and combat shock is one that that I love introducing people to because it was a friend of mine that, that initially introduced me to it and it's it's just one of those movies you have to show everybody because one of the most oversaturated genres are the vigilante Vietnam veteran movie and it's like well here's one that kind of deals with it differently and not even in a in a taxi driver kind of way you have to be in a pretty weird mood to watch and enjoy this movie let's talk about what trauma is more famous for you've got the class of Newcomb highs and toxic Avenger are probably their two biggest is it kind of ironic that they are low budget kind of underground filmmaking and yet toxic Avenger had its own his own cartoon I mean Now, to be fair, RoboCop, Conan, Chuck Norris, Jackie Chan, Rambo, they all had their own cartoons spun off of R-rated movies, but they were large budget into the mainstream. Is it kind of interesting that pop culture embraced Toxic Avenger to make a kid's cartoon out of? That's really, really weird um, to me, and I still find it strange that uh, Toxic Avenger had its own cartoon. But again, you've got to look at the era. As you said, you know, RoboCop had, his, had its own cartoon. Conan had its own cartoon. Yeah, the, the Chuck Norris stuff. There was a Rambo cartoon. And when it comes to Toxic Avenger, I think it does translate really well into a kid's show for a weird reason. And I think it's it's because of what we what we brought up earlier, that trauma movies are almost in a way marketed to 12-year-olds. To like you have these very colorful characters. Toxie totally works as like a children's Saturday morning cartoon character. If you draw them just the right way, which they did in the cartoon, you know, with the bright greens and the oranges and the headbands and just the way they drew the slime and everything. And, you know, he's fighting against pollution and stuff like that. It's it's almost like a cooler version of Captain Planet, pretty much, the, the Toxic Avenger show was. Even though it was such an ultra-violent film, with how fun it was, and just how almost uh, comic book and childlike in nature a lot of it was, even with the ultra violence and the nudity, if you take some of that out and just play up more of the fun superhero uh, fighting against pollution stuff, it's totally marketable as as like an almost He-Man-esque comic book line and animation style. Like a lot of the a lot of the Toxic Avenger, um, you know, Toxic Crusaders action figures looked like the He-Man toy line and it worked perfectly. It makes sense, as it's already been stated. Um, 
when I rewatched the Toxic Avenger a while back, I was actually uh, surprised by some of the elements I had forgotten about, like uh, how he actually uh, senses evil in people. Like he actually kills some people in the movie. And there's a controversy, oh, the Toxic Avengers murdered people. And it turns out they were evil. Nobody knew it. And if you think about it, like, it, this is the most commercially viable comic book-like character that ever came out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really is. I mean, he was, you know, he's a small dork, and he transforms into a He-Man, you know, a monster. It's a very appealing concept to kids. It really is. And outside, of course, of the sex nudity gore. Of the actual <laughs> movie, which also appeals to kids. Essentially, it's it's a very comic book-like character. It is, by its nature, I think, their most marketable character. And mm-hmm. I know uh, I've seen uh, Lloyd in interviews, and he's asked about the Toxic Crusaders a lot, obviously. It was, uh, what, was that around 90, 90, 91, somewhere in that area, I think? Something like that. It, it was okay. the early 90s, yeah. Yeah, early 90s. It, it and... was when Captain Planet and all that Save the Planet Earth Day shit was all over the place. Yeah, I I know he said that they came to him looking for something that was eco-friendly, but I guess they were really drawn to the idea of making toys from this. And I think we were still having the hangover from the whole Hasbro, He-Man, G.I. Joe mentality. And I think they just looked at it and thought, oh, here, we could we can do something, you know, with the environmental angle, you know, which is ironic, making these plastic toys that will never degrade. (laughs) Why? I think it's just all those elements sort of came together, you know, Troma, we've already brought this up. Troma's very colorful. Uh, Their films are very colorful. I mean, most horror movies, I don't think we can stress this enough. Most horror films, especially today, they always take the color out of films. You know, they're always trying, ever since Seven, everything is very degraded now. You know, Seven was a very intentional movie, as we've talked about many times. But they take the color out of things. And you look at a trauma movie, and they're very colorful, and they're they're very silly and comical and, and fun, quite frankly. And that's their very big appeal. So... I, I guess it, it doesn't seem I think Robocop or Highlander is a weirder choice for a kid's cartoon to me, you know, where you're beheading people. Yeah. Uh, how do you c- come up with that one? You know, well, Robocop, I can see it's a robot cop. But but Highlander is like, what? You know, or Police <laughs> Academy. Like, why? Why? Why even Police Academy? You know, but the you know, Robocop, uh, just to interrupt you for a second, the Robocop cartoon intro in itself is still, to me, one of the most unintentionally hilarious things ever. Just the the little changes they made. After being mortally wounded, Officer Alex Murphy is equipped with robotic... Like, they're, they're kind of trying to ignore that he's shot to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't gloss it's, over that. I know. And, ki- okay, that would be like making a PG Spawn cartoon and leaving the <laughs> devil part out. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much it. Like... If you've ever watched an episode of the RoboCop animated television series, I think the very first episode, he very plainly kills like six people. A minute later, after shooting a bunch of people and like basically massacring an entire gang, you see them all in prison. (laughs) Or or, or, or to be fair, G.I. Joe, because it was the same animation studio, how in the really early G.I. Joes, you'll notice there were no parachutes. Yeah. Then after a while, Cobra Troopers kept parachuting down. (laughs) Which is why I think that's that's a testament to how well Toxic Crusaders work because they made enough changes where it could be viable as a kids program because they made these like evil polluting villains that Toxie had to go fight. Whereas with RoboCop, they're like, ah, oh, this this is a guy that was like murdered by a gang and he like his pretty much primary function is to shoot like muggers in the dick. We still gotta make him shoot people, but I guess they can't die. Well, and you know what's funny is I think Toxic Crusaders is actually closer to what Lloyd always likes to preach about environmentalism. I mean, if you look at yeah. the movie Toxic Avenger, really, it's almost more positive if you think about it in the movie. Like, look, kids, it can make you a hero. You know, <laughs> <laughs> not exactly the angle, but if, I think that's also a joke on you know being bit by an atomic spider too. I think yeah. that's. But Toxic Crusaders, I mean, he they literally are fighting against environmentalism, you know, these uh, uh, like waste disposal and, you know, these creatures created by the stuff. So eco-terrorists. Eco- thank you. I could not think of the word. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was trying so hard. Yeah. I think it actually hits the idea of the, the toxic Avenger actually a little more accurately than the original movie does further cement. How far into toxic, uh, or how far into pop culture toxic Avenger became not only did they have the cartoon, 
but they also had the video game, I should say multiple video games. They just had a trauma video game came out last year that had been uh, apparently it was made and then it was never finished. And so, like, they finally finished it and released it. And but I mean, beyond that, you know, you had the Toxic Crusaders video game that came out a while ago and back in the 90s, I believe that just further goes to show like how much they were trying to to push that as to be, uh, you know, uh, a lot more into the mainstream than people realized. To be fair, though, Toxic Crusaders wasn't a hit show. The toys were mostly clear and stout. The show was canceled after only six episodes because nobody was watching it. So as much as we say Toxic Crusaders crossed into pop culture, pop culture kind of kicked it back, though, to a degree, didn't it? But the fact that it was made at all goes to show that, uh, you know, they were they were onto something. It's just for whatever reason, there are a lot of things that for, you know, whatever reason, they don't uh, hit. They don't do as well. I mean, uh, a perfect example, Firefly. I mean, that, you know, Fox bungled that, and now it's got this massive fan following, and there's all these people that are, oh, my God, it was canceled too soon. And, I mean, they didn't even run all the episodes. Uh, I mean, they filmed an entire season, but I think they only ran, like, what, like eight episodes or something before they scrapped it? There, and... there, were, four, there were four unaired episodes when the show was canceled. Okay, so there you go. But, I mean, and how many other uh, shows like that, for whatever reason, uh, they just didn't hit at the time. They were placed on, uh, they were placed against some Something way too strong or they were put on the wrong night or they didn't have enough publicity and they just bombed this it is a very odd thing to have a toxic waste monster as a hero but uh i honestly think if they released something like the toxic crusaders cartoon today it probably would go over better with like today's audience for kids are a lot more narcissistic <laughs> well okay th- that said do you think that a tr- that trauma has more of a it's it's more ingrained in pop culture today than it was because i remember in the late 80s early 90s trauma was a huge name now trauma hasn't put out anything that's really hit pop culture in quite a few years paramount has been trying to get that toxic of that toxic avenger remake that they bought like what in 2010 they've got like two more years to make this and they recently announced that arnold schwarzenegger is going to star in it and it will be pg-13 does that mean that that trauma is less ingrained in pop culture or more uh it's now that's a, a great question um i think that we have to look at when at least in my opinion now this is just my opinion but the last hurrah of trauma was uh, if you remember the documentary all the love you can's came out and there was a lot of coverage of trauma on like e entertainment i remember and this was a i believe i don't know if anybody has a date for all the love you cans but i think this was end of the 90s 2000 that seems to be the end of the line for what we are all talking about right here and now the trauma that we grew up grew up with that everybody knows because that was when all these titles all the all the big everything after that point is pretty much okay they try to make another toxic avenger movie you know recently they they've made new nukem high movies there was a lot of struggling after that point and so i would say yes that the brand name of trauma was more Pre-2000, that's where it was at its height. If I can tag something on to the Toxic Crusaders, uh, Cecil had said something that hit me. That came out, as we said, around 91. And if anybody knows anything about Kaufman's views on uh, the evil, scum-sucking, Satan-worshipping conglomerates, as he likes to call them, you know, he got blackballed. The trauma has been blacklisted, basically, by Hollywood. And Blockbuster Video wouldn't carry any of their products and I feel that maybe one of the reasons Toxic Crusaders wasn't successful was I remember a lot of people liked that show at that time period. I heard about that. I saw those toys everywhere. I heard about that everywhere. And then it was just gone. And I can't help but wonder if if it wasn't that it was a bomb, but it was just destroyed because Blockbuster would not carry trauma material. 
They which refused is kind, which to. Which is kind of weird if he got blackballed since his wife is the New York City film commissioner. Right, which is, you know, which is one of the reasons they were able to film so much in New York, obviously. But yeah, I think that that had a lot to do with the beginning of the end. It wasn't obvious the end, because like I said, I think that they, right before 2000, they were still a name. They were still out there. Lloyd was the pitchman. He was the fighter, and he was the used car salesman of filmmaking, you know? And he's out there with his little bow tie, screaming and yelling and always trying to bring in money. But I remember even in that documentary, All the Love You Can's, that he's talking about how when the last time they were there, they stayed in this suite, and now here they were just fighting to just be there at cons. And I think that that shows that there was a deterioration from that period of of the early 90s to the end of the 90s. They were just slowly being uh, eked out of existence. And it's sad. It's like, uh, I would say that maybe these guys were a little successful in destroying Troma's name. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same way that I see um, punk rock. Like, punk was really, really relevant in the late 70s and throughout the 80s. And because there was a reason for it, you needed that kind of rebellion in music. Much like with Troma, you needed a rebellion in film. A lot of people were, like, Troma to me is is a boredom of mainstream, wanting to see something more over the top, more ridiculous. And the censorship back then, like, you couldn't, you really couldn't see that many movies that were that, that violent or that ridiculous you know, just overall, uh, everything in a trauma movie was more over the top than, than what you would normally see. And I think, I guess there just needs to be another renaissance like that. Trauma was that rebellion in that period. And that's why, you know, that's why a, a show like Toxic Crusaders was able to be made because people actually really wanted to see that, even though it was such a little company. And now it's still known uh, and there are still people finding out about it. And they're obviously still trying to do more stuff with it. And I have to correct you on the uh, the Toxic Avenger remake. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to be in it, but he's backed out of the project. He apparently he apparently saw the original film and realized uh, what he was about to be in. Uh, so he's not he's not going to do it. I don't know if that remake will ever happen. I don't know if it really even needs to. I would much rather just Troma keep making movies and and doing what they're doing. And maybe they're not to a, to the the current audience they might not be as rev- as relevant as the audience that grew up with them but that unfortunately that unfortunately happens you know some things just fizzle out but they still have their their staying power just because they're not as relevant now as they were in the day you know just because just because a lot of punk music nowadays kind of sucks ass doesn't mean i'm going to you know stop listening to the misfits and black flag like it's still going to be be a it's still going to have a soft spot uh, in my heart for it just the same way that i have a soft spot for trauma They've gone into massive, like, uh, underground mode. So they're not as relevant in, like, the mainstream audiences as they were in the 90s and the early 2000s. But now there is a much larger, more passionate fan base that is helping to continue to keep them afloat. So I would say that's more important because a lot of times you'll get mainstream success, but it's fleeting. Uh, Whereas if you can nail down that really dedicated, loyal fan base that will continue to push your stuff and really love it, then that's what's uh, helping to keep them go. So it's it's unfortunate they're not as um, much of a uh, hit per se as they were. But I think that they have a very loyal and dedicated fan base now that will just watch and support and, uh, you know, talk about and promote and do whatever they can to help, uh, you know, Lloyd keep going and to keep making more of these ridiculously awesome movies. I I want Troma to come back as strong as it was in the 80s. I know that that's not going to happen because I want Lloyd to have success. Now, we all know Lloyd's getting up there in age and, you know, he'll be the first to to second that trauma do you think trauma can survive if something happens to lloyd i mean do you think there can be a trauma without a lloyd kaufman no no i'll say it right off the bat this is flat out simple trauma is lloyd kaufman i i think a better thought would be that 
if Lloyd, you know, he speaks a lot at universities and they hold film festivals, there's trauma dance, the books that he's written, the DVDs he's produced about filmmaking. Uh, I've read his books. Uh, well, two of the books, they're fantastic. I have to say that, you know, one of his best legacies, oddly enough, won't necessarily be his movies uh, themselves. They're part of it, no doubt. But he has really opened, he opened my eyes uh, to just how closed off the system is for creative people. He was the one that opened my eyes to the fact that you know, if you want to create something that's original, that's different, that stands out. I loved what uh, Peter said. You said uh, it was an answer to the boredom of the mainstream. And I, mm -hmm. I, I love that boredom of, with mainstream. You know, that's the thing. He's he's opened a, a lot of people's eyes to the fact that, you know, if you make something original, they, they have a clampdown. OK, they have a clampdown in the theaters. They have a clampdown in the video stores, which, of course, are non-existent now. But and they have a clampdown on television process that occurred, you know, with Reagan in the 80s for theaters and Clinton, of all people, in the 90s for television. And the corporates own it all. And it's hard for an independent anything to exist in the creative mainstream. That's why they're going so heavy after the Internet now, because that's one of the few places they still don't quite have the grab. And I'd, I'd like to think that Lloyd is going to inspire a bunch of young filmmakers, a new generation to stand up and to try to make a new. I'm not saying to make exactly like trauma films, but their own voices be heard and to stand up and make their films and to be the ones that are the, you know, the thorns in the side of every studio exec from, you know, Sony to Time Warner and on. Uh, so I think that's going to be Kaufman's legacy. I don't think trauma in and of itself will. I think Lloyd Kaufman is trauma. They're they're inseparable, you know, just like sort of Jeff Lynn is ELO. You know, it's they're one in the same. And when he's gone, trauma's gone. It's a sad thing to say, but it it's true. It, he is the voice, the heart, the soul of the company. And when he's gone, it's gone. But I think he's going to have a very strong legacy, at least in what he has said and how he has inspired so many filmmakers. No Lloyd, no trauma. Same thing. Lloyd is the absolute lifeblood of trauma. Um, it, they'll they'll probably keep going after he dies, but it'll just peter out and like it, you know, it, unless they get somebody in there who uh, just it's it's impossible. You're never gonna find somebody who has like Lloyd Kaufman is one of those people. He's one of a kind. He is like he is the lifeblood of trauma. There's it, it's just it, he stands for so much of everything that that company is. I can't see it continuing if uh, whenever he dies or being see, su continuing and being successful. Because, see, I think Troma is the last real independent studio. And, yes, I'll spell it R-E-E-L the same way they do. Roger Corman's still out there, but he's making stuff for the Sci-Fi Channel almost exclusively now. They're owned by Universal, which is owned by Comcast. Not exactly independent anymore. Full Moon, let's face it, they're on their last dying breaths. Full Moon, I don't give another decade before they're gone, unfortunately, but we'll do a Full Moon episode down the line. Troma is the last actual independent studio out there. I'm not even counting the Asylum, really, because the Asylum also is working with Universal and Comcast and all that. To be fair, Lloyd did too. Back in the 90s when the Sci-Fi Channel started, they showed Troma movies all the time. And Cecil, you brought up USA Up All Night. That's also owned by Universal, now Comcast. So he had worked with them. But do you see his stuff on there anymore? No, you don't. I really think Troma is the last of the great independents. And it's going to be a shame that I agree with you guys without Lloyd. Because do I want Lloyd to die? Of course not. But the guy's getting up there in age. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. And mm. I think he'll take trauma with him, unfortunately. So, with all that morose crap out of the way, Cecil, where can people find you watching trauma movies? You can find me watching trauma movies. Uh, I really do need to get cracking on that uh, trauma retro I've been meaning to do. Um, over at escapistmagazine.com, uh, goodbadflix.com, and all your favorite uh, social media outlets. Where can we find Peter Gajic playing with himself to trauma films? On Twitter at Cinematica, YouTube, The Cinemasicus, Facebook, The Cinemasicus. And you can find Peter Gajic on 1201beyond.com. I don't pronounce any, I don't pronounce Cecil's name right either, so. You certainly don't. Mm-hmm. And where can we find Fred Fritz 
analyzing trauma films for their little nuances. Well, still sadly, no, nowhere specific other than my movie apocalypse page that's uh, located on Facebook. Uh, any and all updates that I'll have will be there for right now. Well, and my arrogant ass is over at 1201beyond.com. And you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. To me, trauma will never die, at least in my heart. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Class! Chores, like washing windows and fighting in wars. Let's get busy, free of some thinking and work with force. Let's mix genetics with something busy and create a race of subhumanoids who do everything for us. Subhumanoids do the jobs demeaning. They'll do the cooking and they'll do the cleaning. And then they'll even do you. Never born from female egg and semen seed. The BMA from night till dawn, they're the ultimate product of corporate greed. When you kiss them, if they're smelly, they got an extra set of lips in the button of their belly. Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.